Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wellstar Chamber Luncheon Series for April. My name is Lindsay Petrini, and I am the Chief Operating Officer at Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, uh, and proud to serve as the Chamber's 2021 uh, Chairman, and uh, delighted to welcome you today to this virtual event. Um, at this time, I'd like to start off by recognizing all of the sponsors that make this event possible, um, starting out with um, our naming sponsor, which is Wellstar Health System. And uh, representing uh, Wellstar, I just want to remind everybody um, as we come into the tail end of the pandemic, to remember to stay healthy and to um, keep diligence when it comes to washing our hands and wearing our masks and uh, keeping social distance when possible and taking the opportunity to get vaccinated. Um, we are so proud to support our community um, and proud to be a part of the chamber and just appreciate the opportunity to sponsor. I would also like to take a moment to recognize our gold sponsor. Um, AT&T, I would like to ask Rich Johnson, the AVP of External Affairs, um, to say a few words. Rich. Thank you, Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, we're excited about what the North Fulton Chamber really is doing here to bring together the community, to bring together these key issues and talk about how we can continue to move our state and our community forward. Um, as many of you all are aware, the Chamber is, is, is really the, the foremost leader with respect to uh, policy issues and representing business at the state capitol. Um, I'm confident today's uh, speakers and panelists, ha having worked with both of them uh, for a number of years, are going to bring some really uh, insightful um, opportunities to, to talk about some of these key issues. Um, and I hope that uh, you are um, excited about what we have today. Um, so on behalf of AT&T and our nearly 20,000 employees statewide, um, we are proud to be a sponsor and proud to support the North Fulton Chamber. Right. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much, Rich. Uh, we appreciate AT&T's partnership with the Chamber and the continued support of our events. Um, we'd also like to thank our media sponsor, John Ray and North Fulton Business X, uh, Business Radio X. Um, as a reminder, um, you may use the Q&A feature at any time uh, to enter any questions that you have um, as our panelists are speaking. Uh, we will get to as many questions at the conclusion um, of time as possible. Uh, it is now my pleasure to introduce our esteemed uh, panel for the 2021 legislative update. Our first panelist is Sam Olins. Uh, Sam is, is in, is in Denton's, Denton's public policy practice and is a member of the firm's state attorney general's group. Uh, his practice focuses on state attorneys, uh, general and local government affairs matters. Sam has served as attorney general of Georgia and chair, uh, chair of Atlanta Regional Commission Board. Sam's counterpart for today's event is Theron Johnson, founder and CEO of Paramount Consulting Group, a firm specializing in media relations, government affairs, and electoral strategy. Uh, Theron has advised elected officials, including President Barack Obama, Atlanta Mayor Keisha, Keisha Lance Bottoms, Congressman John Lewis, Congressman John Barrow, and former Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed. As a regular key contributor on CNN, MSNBC, Fox 5, The Georgia Gang, WSB-TV, and Georgia's Public Broadcasting Political Rewind, 
Thurman provides insight and analysis of political and policy development. Our moderator is Edward Lindsay with Denton's. Edward is a partner in Denton's public policy practice and serves as head of the firm's Georgia State Government Affairs team. His focus is on advancing the public policy interests and objectives of clients in the transportation, infrastructure, healthcare, and education sectors. Edward has more than 32 years of legal, political, and leadership experience, including 10 years um, as, a, as a Georgia State Representative and three terms as the House Majority Whip. Um, he also serves as a chamber board member. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Edward, I'm going to pass this over to you to lead the discussion. Well, and, and Lindsay, thank you. And um, and on behalf of the Georgia Chamber, I thank everyone that, that has uh coming to join us today. I look forward to the time in, in which we can all meet again in person, which I hope to be very soon. Uh, Theron and Sam, I appreciate uh, your coming today and, and giving us your insights as to what took place during the General Assembly. Let's start with what has made the most headlines, which is the, the bill dealing with election issues. And uh, Theron, let me sort of start off with you, get your initial uh, thoughts regarding that bill, and then have Sam sort of chime in afterwards. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ed. It's always a pleasure to be with you and Sam. Uh, you guys are dear friends and, and former colleagues, and want to definitely thank the Greater uh, North Fulton Chamber for your your leadership. Um, as Rich Johnson mentioned, you guys play a pivotal role in shaping policy and making sure that you represent your membership not only at the state capitol, but you know when the session is not in for the other months of the year. So definitely want to thank you guys so much for, for bringing me back. And, and thank you to all the sponsors. Uh, I know that the chamber understands that this, these events would, wouldn't happen if it wasn't for your uh, relentless um, commitment to supporting the chamber. So thank you so much. Um, you know, Ed, I think many of the folks who are probably watching or listening today have probably heard me talk about uh, Senate Bill 202. Uh, it was something that if you had told me at the beginning of a session, Ed, that was going to lead to a major league baseball team deciding to pull their all-star game away from the state of Georgia, particularly Cobb County. I mean, if you had told me that it was going to lead to a boycott of a Georgia-based company that does so many great things in the community, uh, who's such a great community partner in Home Depot, I wouldn't have believed you. But I think what was the first indication for me was really after the January election where um, voters in Georgia decided to send now Senator Raphael Warnock and Senator John Ossoff to the U.S. Senate. And I think that's when we kind of saw even before that historic election in the months of November and December, um, the Republicans sort of pushing this false narrative uh, to the people of Georgia about the election results. Uh, there was no widespread voter fraud. There was no evidence, you know, substantially uh, submitted to show that there was all these voter irregularities and all this cheating uh, that was sort of built on this false narrative. And so fast forward, you go to the legislative session and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we got up to over 80 bills uh, that were introduced. And I promised my good friend, Sam Olins that I would not loop him into uh, the entire Republican Party. He's an independent um, uh, of most of the things uh, that go on. He'll definitely be able to talk about what he believes. But that was the first indicator that, okay, this is going to be a roller coaster. I mean, 80 plus bills. And to be fair, 
Democrats did introduce some bills as well, which I think a couple of them actually were able to get some language into the final version. And then lastly, as I close, and I would just be very honest with you, um, I think that I think, you know, I've been very vocal that I think the, the bill uh, definitely restricts voting. Uh, it does make it harder in some respects for people to vote. But I have to go back on the premise and the motive of the bill. I can't help but think that Democrats won and Republicans figured out that we finally learned how to play by their rules that they created back in 2005. And quite frankly, we just had a better organization. We had a better team of uh, folks who were on the ground and we had better candidates. And so I want to move on. I think I don't support boycotts. Uh, It's very unfortunate what we're seeing, but I do support the people who are expressing their opposition to Senate Bill 202. What we have to do now is focus on voter education, uh, make sure that with these upcoming elections um, this year in Georgia, that people understand the new restrictions and the new guidelines that have been put in place. And then ultimately, we got to let the legal process play itself out. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Um, the attorney general can definitely probably speak to that. But ultimately, there is now a legal process that has to um, sort of uh, transpire and then, you know, we'll continue to figure out politically how it affects all Georgians. Sam, it probably would be helpful to the to our uh, viewers today to sort of sort of hit on some of the, the high points about what's in the bill and what's not in the bill, because uh, there's been some uh, confusion as to what is and is not in the bill. So perhaps if I could get you to sort of sort of outline just uh, three or four of the, the key points that are in the bill as well as some things that were of concern early on that turned out not to be in the bill. Sure, Ed, and it's a pleasure to be here uh, for the Greater North Fulton Chamber, to be here with Aaron and a lot of friends. Um, you know, with regard to Theron's comment, clearly a lot of this related to the big lie. A lot of this related to the massive fraud that wasn't. And some of the early versions of the 80 plus bills were reprehensible. Um, the uh, the um, effort to limit no excuse absentee voting made no sense. Many folks like me voted absentee every election last year. I used a Dropbox every election last year. So I think the two things that really hide in the flame were the effort to limit no excuse voting and the effort to remove Sunday voting. Both of those efforts failed and are not in the bill as passed, thankfully. And then you get into an issue of a lot of smaller areas like when you request absentee ballots, uh, when you um, have to return the absentee ballots, et cetera. And while that attracts a lot of debris and a lot of attention, Georgia in all of those spaces is consistent with the majority of states, but it's always easier to go from no early voting to, well, I'm gonna limit instead of getting X days, it's X minus five. So for instance, during this hubbub, Delaware, for the first time, permitted early voting nine days. Well, Georgia has a minimum of 17. The Delaware governor, to me, New Jersey, not Delaware, I apologize. The New Jersey governor was all talking about how great they were because they have nine. Well, Georgia has a minimum of 17. 
So there's a lot of debris through this whole process. Uh, Georgia's now only one of Warren's one of four states that requires uh, the last four digits of your uh, driver's license or other state ID. Most states all require the signature. By definition, my signature in the morning is very different than my signature at 8 p.m. Whether that's reason for a change or not, I don't honestly know. Uh, Some folks are very hyper about uh, the fact that only poll workers can give food or water in the line. Some people are very concerned that the Secretary of State no longer chairs the elections board. Frankly, I think that was a mistake. Uh, And some are concerned about the ability to suspend uh, county elections offices. At the end of the day, this would be far less controversial if it weren't for the big lie and far less controversial if there wasn't an initial effort to um, restrict early voting or Sunday voting. Finally, in the legal area, there were five prior lawsuits. Today, there was reference to a sixth being filed. These lawsuits are frankly easier for the state attorney's general office to defend than some of the other litigation they've had to defend in the last couple of years. My educated guess is that the plaintiffs will win on minor issues, but in all likelihood not win on major issues. So I'll give an example. While I personally think it was unfortunate to restrict the number of um, places where you can drop off your ballot, I don't see that rising to a constitutional level. So I think there are areas of concern Uh, but not areas that a federal court will uh, throw out sections. I do think there are a couple sections in trouble, but once again, those aren't the major sections of the bill. Edward? I, um, you know, we'll come back perhaps if if we get some questions about some of the the other aspects of the election bill, but I do want to also cover some other things. And Sam, I'm going to start with you on this one. Sort Sort of walk through some of the key things that were passed this session that aren't necessarily making the out, making the headlines uh, that you think are most significant. And then Darren, I'm gonna throw it to you on, on some of your thoughts. So I wanna mention one win before we get to the legislature and that's the water wars. Uh, the Supreme Court's decision to uh, side with Georgia is huge. For folks in the Northern area of the Metro area, that's a large, large decision. We still need to be good stewards of our water We still can potentially have further litigation from our sister states, but that was probably the biggest win our states had in years. Now, with regard to the legislature, uh, the citizen's arrest uh, bill sponsored by Burt Reeves is huge. The bill to uh, severely limit the number of people on probation that Edward led, um, SB 105, is huge. Those are two really big criminal justice reform wins. And the third issue I'd mentioned is Senate Bill 6, which was the overall economic development bill. Uh, Apparently that has a huge gain for Lockheed, a huge gain for class three railroads, for projects of regional significance and medical and pharmaceutical manufacturing. So I think we're gonna hear, we're not gonna hear the term Senate Bill 6, but we're gonna get some nice jobs growth out of Senate Bill 6. Thank you. 
Okay. Darren? Yeah, I think, and I thought I heard uh, Sam mention this one, but definitely uh, House Bill 479, which was a long overdue overhaul of the citizens' arrest um, law that we had in Georgia. And that was very significant as a lot of us were down at the Capitol uh, this year, seeing the Democrats and the Republicans come together in a bipartisan manner to unanimously pass this bill. Uh, I also want to highlight that Senate Bill 146, uh, which was a Senate bill that would uh, dealing with personal parental leave, uh, was a big one because now it extends that parental personal leave to state employees. And we know that at a time where we're just trying to get you know, used to this new norm, that was a really uh, big one um, that that passed. And so just though those are just two. Uh, that come to mind um, that I think were really good bills in a bipartisan manner um, that were passed. And, and ultimately, I agree with Sam on the probation bill. I think that was Senator Tanya Anderson uh, and uh, Senator Strickland um, as well. That was a bipartisan effort also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there were also some other bills just sort of add, add to that dealing with infrastructure in particular. Uh dealing with the freight uh, infrastructure, which is extremely important in terms of goods getting out of the the Savannah port and getting into the mainstream of commerce. Uh, Georgia actually somewhat lags behind in some of its uh, freight infrastructure. And and there was an important bill that was passed to sort of help add to that infrastructure and and help us beef up some of our our needs in terms of moving freight out of uh, the Savannah port and into the general commerce. Just want to throw that in as well. What, uh, Theron, what bills did you feel were big that didn't pass, that issues that that are still out there for the 2022 session? I think the first one uh, that sort of jumped out to me um, and, you know, be disclosed for our audience, I previously worked on uh, Destination Resort Casino Gambling previous years, um, but it was uh, sort of the inability um, for us to really pass sports betting. Um, that was something that I thought going into the session this year had a lot of momentum uh, at a time where I want to be able to bet on sporting events legally in Georgia um, through an app or through my device or a computer. I thought that that one was one that had enough support and enough momentum going into the session. There were a lot of people that sort of informed me that I guess Casino gambling kind of got mixed in there a little bit. And to be quite frank, just be very frank with you, Ed, I think we want to take our viewers into, you know, our work at the Capitol. I want to applaud the House Democratic Minority Caucus uh, and the Senate uh, Caucus, Democratic Caucus, for really sort of locking down and really standing up for what was right. Uh, They wanted to uh, have some negotiations around sports betting that tied into ultimately Senate Bill 202 and really sort of get some... um, some uh, compromise language in there, some things, some concessions that they wanted to, to be done. So I think this fight is not over. This is a two-year session, uh, but I hope that we'll be able to have that conversation again during the session and we can pass sports betting. And George, I think it'll help us build, rebuild this economy. It could be a definitely alternative uh, method of revenue that would be good for our state. Yeah. Sam, any additional thoughts in, in that area among about issues yeah. that, that we didn't get past this session? No, I mean, you know, look, when I first got involved in Georgia politics, there were two Georgias, urban and rural. 
And some of us remember when each county had one vote and was fortunately declared unconstitutional. Then I started hearing everyone tell me there are five Georgias, you know, Atlanta, North, South, West, and East, the coast. Uh, We're now back to two Georgias, but instead of it being urban and rural, it's Republican and Democrat, as was alluded to by Theron in his answer Unfortunately, our legislature has now become like Congress in some ways where the the partisan heat is unhealthy. I do not um, disagree with his statement that as a result of SB 202, some of the bills like sports betting and gambling died this year. But I think that's going to continue this next year. And while I think there are some folks such as the speaker that consistently look for opportunities for the parties to be bipartisan. I think especially uh, many of the newbies don't appreciate the need for the bipartisanship. Uh, And I think that that's a real problem because if our state legislature starts looking like Congress, uh, it doesn't bode well for our state. Um, Let me, let me sort of ask y'all a question and and just sort of let, folks know beforehand, we do sort of talk about topics that we might want to address. But there was a topic that came up yesterday that I didn't get a chance to, to talk to my, my friends Theron and Sam about, but I think it's something very topical. And that was the release of the census data uh, that will lead to redistricting. And Sam, you were the attorney general in 2011, uh, the last time Georgia went through a decennial uh, redistricting. Can you sort of walk through the uh, the process that we now have coming forward and, and what the folks might expect in terms of um, redistricting now that the census data is out? So yesterday we got the macro data that talked about who gets a new congressman, for instance, and who doesn't. We're still waiting for some of the micro data. Uh, clearly, with the increased Democratic votes in the metro area, you would assume that the Republican leadership in the House and Senate will find it more challenging to handle reapportionment. The legislative leadership will hire some outside counsel to assist them. And uh, once they get the micro data, uh, the state apportionment office does a really good job and has all the latest technology And at that point, they will start looking at maps. And then they will go up to the leadership in both the House and the Senate to show them what the maps look like. And then at that point, candidly, you have historically a little bit of bipartisanship where certain Republicans and Democrats will suggest changes that they view helpful towards their reelection. Because let's face it, legislators are most interested in their reelection. Uh, that when it comes down to it, in fact, one of the big problems we have in our society now is the lack of interest in policy and much interest in one's own reelection. So we'll have that. Um, and then at that point, clearly, maps will get a little bit more serious. We'll have a special session towards the end of the year later than anyone wanted. Um, I say that because it will take that long, not only to get the maps ready for a significant discussion, but also that gives people less time to know what they're running for. I mean, you have folks that don't really know which state house or state Senate district they'll live in, but they know they want to run. 
so it makes a tight time window to get your campaign up, to start raising money and to be preparing for qualifying. We were really happy. Last time was the first time when I was attorney general that um, the Justice Department found the state maps to be constitutional, both state house, state Senate and congressional. Uh, And I think all the leadership in the state felt very good about it, felt that there had been significant uh, bipartisan displays in that process. Um, One only hopes that will continue this time uh, in a world that's a little bit more hyper-partisan that makes it more difficult. Uh, But for the the viewers to understand, it is predominantly a data-driven process, and then the politics follows. Edward, any thoughts on your part? Yeah, real quick. I mean, this is something that is very personal to me, Ed and Sam. As you guys remember, Governor Kemp appointed uh, me and my colleague Lori Geary uh, to head up the statewide campaign, uh, which was titled Everyone Counts. And, you know, when I saw that yesterday we were at a 99.9% completion rate in the state of Georgia during a deadly pandemic, that is something we should really celebrate just to take our viewers inside. I mean, when Governor Kemp chose Lori and I to lead this effort, I mean, we were off to a great start. I mean, this was a truly bipartisan effort. And I've got to you know, thank Governor Deal, former Governor Deal, for putting the money in the budget uh, that allowed Governor Kemp to create the Complete Count Committee, which is a truly statewide committee that was bipartisan. I mean, we had presidents of uh, colleges and universities. We had the chair of the Democratic Party and the chair of the Republican Party on the Complete Count Committee. Uh, You had members from Fair Fight and other different organizations that was on this committee. And so we were off to a fantastic start. And then COVID-19 happened and it really delayed the count. Uh, The federal government had to scramble to figure out how do we make sure that everyone is counted uh, in the state of Georgia. And so this is this is a big win. Uh, for the state to be able to make sure that um, everyone is is accurately counted. Now, to move into the political portion of this really quickly, Ed, I mean, look, when Democrats were in, in power, we definitely drew lines and maps that favored our uh, caucus members. Uh, and when Republicans, I suspect, would do the same. But I think Sam just, as always, being the brilliant mind that he is, pointed out something. I think with the census data, is going to show that we've had an influx of people who have moved into this state, primarily in the metropolitan area, many of whom we believe uh, could be Democratic voters. And so at a time when you know, you're trying to figure out where uh, you're going to run for office, let's not also forget that you have a lot of current state representatives and state senators who are vacating their seats to run for higher office and constitutional offices. And so I believe the Republicans have really got to make sure that they entertain some type of redistricting reform. Again, I led by saying when we have power Democrats, we definitely, you remember, Ed, we drew multi-member districts where you had literally one district and it was represented by like three different members, right? But I, I just did not want to get off this this uh, this call to Zoom interview today and not really take a moment to just celebrate Georgia and celebrate uh, the governor and his leadership and all of the complete count committee members and others for their tireless work to make sure that everyone in Georgia was counted. Yeah. If I could take off my, uh, my moderator hat and, and sort of, uh, sort of give my thoughts real quick, because I did also live through the 2011 process. I was the majority whip at the time. 
two points that I think folks, and I, I want to first highlight something that Sam said a moment ago and then compare it to a sister state of North Carolina and how they've handled redistricting over the last few years. Uh, Georgia, as Sam pointed out, in, in 2011 drew its lines and it was the first decennial maps that were approved underneath the Voting Rights Act by a, 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 the um, Department of Justice uh, and was, was actually approved in both the state, House, State Senate, and congressional levels. So, so Georgia actually came clean in 2011 and then was able to move forward with elections uh, over the next 10 years. By contrast, North Carolina has been in and out of the Supreme Court a few times over the last few years, and its final congressional maps uh, for the last census were not passed until 2019. Uh, so to show you uh, what happens if you if you go too far, uh, stability I think is one thing that that folks on the left and the right and need to be looking for when it comes to going in to the redistricting process, so that folks can know what to expect over the next 10 years. And when you when you go too far and you end up having the courts involved and maps get tossed out and you have to go back and read all the lines, that just brings people to have an honest question as to um, as to the process as a whole. On a personal level, one of my favorite stories I'll, I'll tell you when I was in, uh, in in leadership, you know, you will have uh, folks coming to you constantly uh, within your caucus and within uh, the other party complaining about the lines being drawn here or there. And in, in my case, uh, I represented about 80% before the redistricting in the city of Atlanta, about 20% in Sandy Springs. Well, because of population shifts, I was going to lose Sandy Springs, which meant I was going to lose my backyard uh, because the city limits line ran through my backyard. And so I had uh, several legislators come to me complaining that their mama or their grandmama or their aunt or uncle or their best friend was no longer in their district. And I had to sort of tell them, look, I don't want to hear it. I just I just lost my dog. Uh, my dog is now in another district. So I've got to go home and explain that. So please don't whine about uh, about you losing your mother-in-law. Uh, anyway, that was one of my favorite stories from then. Ed, if you don't mind, and that's a great yeah. story. And man, do we miss you at the legislature. I, I, I don't know if I like you better as a state representative or as a person that's making you know so much money at the world's largest uh, law firm. But um, the, the one thing I want to point out too really quickly, Ed, is that we could possibly get, gain a new congressional seat. Um, possibly. You know, we got to look at the data. Um, but even if we don't gain this congressional seat, the amount of growth um, that has happened in the metropolitan area uh, there's going to be a strong look at, I believe, Congressional District 6 and 7 um, because of, of a, I believe, nonpartisan reasons, but just the amount of growth in those particular districts. And so definitely, you know, depending on the data, uh, we could possibly pick up a, an additional congressional seat. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I think you guys have touched on it, but you're going to have folks, even though there's been a, an increase in our population of a little over a million, if I remember correctly, due to the census data. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's been a shift in, in, in where those people are. So while, um, you know, you'll have a lot, a lot, uh, changes in, in metro area, that's the easy part when you're simply dividing out new population centers. The hard part will quite frankly be for our friends, probably more in, in middle and south Georgia, 
in which districts will shift and suddenly folks who have been close allies will suddenly having to be running against each other in 2022. And that's just sort of the uh, the nature of the beast. Folks, I've got one question so far in my Q&A box and I need a few more uh, in the next few minutes. So uh, please uh, start uh, adding your questions in and I'm gonna have these two folks address it. Looking ahead to 2022, uh, you've already discussed gambling. What other issues out there, and I'll start with you on this one, what other issues do you expect to see in the 22 uh, session? You know, I think you're going to definitely see a, a effort. Uh, I will hope to be a bipartisan effort, but I definitely think you'll see Democrats try to look at some provisions, some language of how they can maybe amend uh, Senate Bill 202 or pass new laws based on, as Sam did a great job of explaining to us, that what ultimately will be the verdict in the courts, right? You know, one of the things that I think, you know, for our listeners and, and viewers, the thing that was so interesting to me is that you heard Sam talk about the drop boxes, right? And so he used them. Uh, people in my family, my friends use them, right? But we got to be, you know, we got to call balls and strikes. This was something that was not in state law at the time. This was a special provision um, that was put in and to give access to voters to let them vote during this deadly pandemic. And so that's something um, that I think you'll start seeing people kind of revisiting with, with state law. I think the other thing that's going to happen, Ed, is that you're going to see a big push uh, for full Medicaid expansion. Uh, I know that's something that gets Republicans really riled up. And definitely you got to have this very uncomfortable conversation about how expensive it may be or how much is it going to cost the state. But I think at a time when we know that our rural hospitals are closing, uh, we have so many uninsured Georgians and healthcare costs are still rising. Premiums are rising. I definitely think we're going to have a open conversation about Medicaid expansion. Now, I want to be clear, you know, you got to give, um, you know, you got to point out that Governor Kemp has done some things with the waivers, but many of my Democratic friends uh, believe that that's not enough. And then I'm going to talk about my good friend, uh, Speaker David Ralston, who, uh, Ed and Sam, you guys know, we're, we're really friends. We, we're not really talking as much now as we should be because we fundamentally disagree on the Senate Bill 202. But I think you're going to probably see a huge effort to try to influence him, particularly in the House, to at least have a conversation about fully expanding Medicaid. So those are two things that I think will definitely be front and center for the upcoming session. Yeah. Sam, anything you want to add to that? It looks like Sam maybe dropped off. I hope I didn't scare him when I started talking about <laughs> Medicaid expansion. I mean, you know, I know that's, that's something that... Uh, you know, it's one of those, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, issues that uh, can be a little tribal, but uh, it's a wedge issue. But I think he dropped off, Ed. Well, I think, I think, yeah, unfortunately, we may have some technical difficulties and hopefully he'll be back in a second. Uh, but while I just have you, um, you know, in terms of the, um, the, the pandemic and the impact on business, do you, what, what do you see looking ahead that will assist the business community? This is a chamber of commerce discussion. For yeah. Him. Well, you know, the, the, the thing that I'll filibuster as long as I can until our, our friend yeah. Sam comes back, you know, let's just start with personal, right? Like COVID-19 and this deadly pandemic has changed everyone's life, right? And it's, and it's had a tremendous mental impact on people. I mean, it's even had a mental impact on me. I mean, I was able to have a son that was born nine months ago, you know, when I, I can't wait for him to be able to comprehend what I'm telling him about how he was 
born during this deadly pandemic. So it's had a lot of stress on families, right? And then there was a tremendous burden that was really put on local governments and particularly local government leaders up in North Fulton to really answer questions and put in guidelines and procedures to help people just quite frankly live. Uh, and, you know, I know, listen, we won't get into the sort of strain that it was of trying to get federal funding to the states. And then the state was, you know, then responsible for making sure that everything happened. But I, I definitely think that it's had a tremendous impact on us personally and families. And let's not forget schools and, and in-person learning. I mean, our, our students trying to learn and, and, and parents having to figure out this process. But lastly, as you mentioned, Ed, I think it's had a tremendous impact on businesses, particularly uh, small businesses. Um, you know, we definitely had the, the two rounds of the PPP loans. Uh, I know that uh, if you look at what's going on in the White House right now and what's going on with the state, there's an effort to try to make sure that uh, we reopen the economy, which Georgia has has done. But also keep in mind that we got to mask up. We're not out of the woods yet. We got to make sure uh, that we continue to socially distance uh, and, and make sure that we uh, get tested. And then now it's this big move to get everyone vaccinated, which, by the way, I mean, Georgia has made a slight improvement, but we're still lagging behind particularly in our rural areas where people get vaccinated. And so it's had a tremendous uh, effect on businesses. And Ed, lastly, um, I can't tell you how many business owners I talk to, and I'm a small business owner myself, but one of the conversations that small businesses are having right now and in businesses are how do you retain and recruit talent, you know, good workers, because some workers decided not to come back to work right away because they were able to, Finally, how long it took to get their unemployment and uh, to figure out different ways to try to make a living. And so I think there's a huge struggle right now for businesses to retain their workers, but also figure out a way to recruit new workers at a time where I think a lot of uh, things have just changed. And, you and you know, we, we also got to have a conversation about wages, too, but that's a conversation uh, for another day. Let me ask, and, and, and Sam, uh, I'm, I'm glad to have you back in here. Um, and um, we, we missed you for a few moments. Perhaps both of you can sort of, you know, sort of chat. Both of you deal with this issue that that the the relationships with the federal assistance when it comes to dealing with the pandemic and and how the local and state folks will be dealing with it. You know, we have the uh, American Relief Plan that that passed just a, a few weeks ago uh, up in Congress, uh, which will get a lot more coming into Georgia. And, and uh, perhaps if you could start sort of uh, your understanding on how the um, on on how that money will trickle down to both the state and locals. God, I was all set to respond to the question you gave there, and when construction decided to knock off my power, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think with regard to your last question, we don't really know the answer to that question. I mean, the governor's talked about having a committee or commission that would assist, it is a huge amount of money. And, uh, and, and I think there's going to be a lot of open discussion on how much is for social, how much is for infrastructure. Uh, it would certainly be my hope that broadband is on top of that list, since that's so essential to our economic development as, as well as to our youth. So I, I would certainly hope that uh, a lot of it would be for broadband, but um, I just hope cool heads prevail in that regard. And 
I apologize again, but uh, they're building a building near me and they decided that was a good time to uh, hit the power line. <laughs> uh, uh, Theron, thoughts on, on the, uh, the, the, the latest stimulus package from the feds in terms of, uh, of how the, 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 state, the local and, and the state government will be able to respond in terms of the money that will be coming into it. I believe, for instance, the state is looking to receive uh, a little bit over $4 billion mm-hmm. uh, input. And also there'll be a, a sizable input to, to the various local governments here in Georgia as well. Well, I think it's a great thing um, that, you know, President Biden and Vice President uh, Harris, through their leadership, have been able to basically do Ed, what they promised to do. You know, we can't we can't not mention that President Biden will be here uh, on Thursday. Right. And so. You know, I, I think we can talk about Georgia sort of being this new battleground state. You know, we, I believe we're a blue state. Some people may argue that we're still purple. But if you just look at that money, I mean, you just mentioned four billion dollars coming to the state at a time when we need infrastructure improvements. Right. We still can build better schools. Uh, we People still need this money. And I think it's really left up to the local governments uh, to figure out how to you know, spend this money legally and ethically, um, of course. Um, but making sure that they have the guidance from the federal government and the cooperation uh, from the state. And so, look, I expect for the state and local governments, particularly the state, to respond uh, about some of the things they may not like in this. But I think any time where you're coming out of a deadly pandemic like this deadly pandemic uh, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, having that federal funding coming to the state of Georgia, having that federal assistance and more importantly, having President Biden as our leader. Who understands how important this is? I think it's definitely the right direction that we're headed in the state. Okay, I'm getting some questions now, and I'm going to try to sort of sort of boil some of these down. One deals with uh, uh, basically uh, gun legislation. Um, you know, and do either of you see any changes in Georgia gun laws in the 2022 session? So, you know, there was a bill that looked like it was going to pass that the NRAs promoted for years, and the speaker wisely decided this wasn't the year for it to pass, where you would apply um, other states' laws to our state. I think time will only tell whether that bill gets a final vote next year or not. Um, I think in in that that's the only kind of bill I can see passing as long as the legislature's uh, predominantly Republican. Um, I frankly would support a red fr- a red flag law in our state, but I don't think there are the votes to pass a red flag law in our state. For well, the benefit, Sam, uh, what, why don't you explain what a, what the red law, flag law is? So a red flag law says that if either the uh, if either law enforcement or family close friends think someone is not stable and they shouldn't have possession of a firearm, it permits them to go to a judge to get a temporary order prohibiting them from having that firearm. It is not permanent. The individual is able to go to court to make a case that they are perfectly able to handle that um, piece of equipment and to be given that right back. Many states have red flag laws. Uh, The criticism is that you're infringing on one second rights. Um, The other side of that is you're you're potentially threatening someone's life unnecessarily. 
I tend to, to believe that a short-term temporary stoppage prior to a full judicial hearing is worth it. Darren, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I agree. With, I agree with Sam. I mean, Ed, how many times here lately, but it's been going on for decades, but just look at the mass shootings that we've had um, just in the last month or so, two months. And even, you know, we can't not talk about the the massacre that happened right here in Atlanta, Georgia, um, you know, particularly targeting massage parlors and Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Right. And so no matter how you shape it, there was definitely something there mentally wrong with these um, individuals. Most, most times it's definitely has a mental illness component to it that um, politicians don't want to talk a lot about, but I think we've got to have a conversation in this state, which by the way is an open carry state. Uh, We can't leave that out about responsible gun ownership. You can have a conversation about responsible gun ownership, Ed and Sam, without infringing upon someone's second amendment, right? Uh, that's where it gets really tricky when people feel like you're taking away their Second Amendment. But I think any logical Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian does not promote an individual, he or she, being able to walk in a gun store and walk out that morning and go and literally kill and murder multiple people without an extensive sort of background check. As Sam mentioned, you know, red flags. I mean, how many how many lives could have been saved? if family members would have been able to do exactly what Sam just described. And so I think the speaker was very, very wise to not go down that route at a time where the state is very divided. And I think he also saw that the country has a lot going on as far as, but I, but again, I'm hopeful. I'm so excited about this new administration and with president Biden and, and vice president Harris, I think they're going to do something about this gun violence that we're seeing that's happening in our country. And I think they're going to do it in a way that doesn't violate people's second amendment rights, but we've got to have a very uncomfortable conversation about responsible gun ownership in this state. And we got to make sure that we look at red flag laws uh, and we got to make sure that it's just not so easily accessible to give guns to people who have the intent to kill others. We should be able to purchase guns to defend ourselves but not to purchase one on the same day and go and basically inflict hate and kill others in this state. I think we've got to make sure that we have a very uncomfortable conversation about that. Yeah. When getting back to, to sort of a business question that I got from, uh, from uh, our friend Melvin Everson, who, who dealt with a workforce development, um, you know, how, you know, in which he sort of related a story and I've heard it from other business folks as well where they're just having a difficult time uh, getting workers, <laughs> uh, skilled workers into particular areas. And uh, what do you guys think uh, that we need to be doing in order to sort of uh, get those necessary skilled workers uh, connected with the uh, the employers who are looking for, for good people right now? Sam, any initial thoughts on your part? Well, look, you know, under Governor Deal's leadership, there was an effort to either significantly reduce or make certain certification programs free in order to obtain critical needs. Uh, That was a great program. It's my hope that we will continue to expand it. We, like most states, 
place entirely too much emphasis on a four-year college degree and spend insufficient emphasis on technical college programs. Um, you know, anytime uh, I need someone to help me at my house, their bills are uh, solid. They're, they're doing fine as they should, but there are shortages of all those trades. So uh, I, I think whether it's IT, whether it is cybersecurity, whether it relates to our film industry, it, it, frankly, it is a good place for government to help fund those programs that uh, provide those necessary jobs. Yeah. Yeah, I think real quick, because I know we're running you know, short on time. I, I think, um, you know, I mentioned that earlier. I, I think we got to really look at a opportunity to be innovative, right? One thing that this deadly pandemic has shown us, Ed, and I hope I don't hurt any small businesses or businesses that um, rely on this, but, you know, we realized that being in the office um, has something that, you know, I remember walking over to you guys at Dentons or Den McKenna and just kind of having a conversation, but we've all had to learn how to do this. And that is have virtual conversations. And so I think workers have got to figure out how do you create an environment, a virtual environment for your workers, if need be, if you choose not to reopen uh, your offices. I think that's something we got to do. And then also we got to have a very uh, uncomfortable conversation about wages. I was kind of going there earlier. You know, while we celebrate Georgia as the number one state to do business, we still have a lot of uh, wage stagnation that's happening in this state. There's a lot of income inequality uh, that's happening in this state, particularly in the Atlanta metro area. And so I think you got to really look at whether or not we should raise the minimum wage, which hasn't been done in decades. Um, and so that's probably another way that we can try to make sure businesses are able to retain and recruit good workers. Yeah. One last question, and I'm going to give both of you because we're sort of running short on time. But you know, both, and 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 this is probably the responsibility of both political parties. You know, obviously sharp differences on policy in some areas. Georgia's getting a uh, black eye around the country. A lot of folks feel something. What can and what should both leaders in both political parties be trying to do to uh, calm the waters? and to encourage folks around the country that Georgia is a good place to live, work, and play. Sam, I'll start with you. Well, thanks for letting me start on the easy question there, Edward. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think you need leadership from both parties to come together and, and frankly, um, be part of that public discussion. That yes, we have differences. Yes, folks in every state have differences, but we're all together on the need to grow jobs in our state, to um, to make sure people are healthy in our state, to make sure people have a proper education. And I think it literally takes both sides of the aisle to agree to be a part of that public discussion, uh, show up together on uh, CNBC, show up together on other media and say, yes, we have our differences, but we all work to enhance our state. Uh, these jabs on Fox or MSNBC aren't helpful. Uh, folks need to come together now and work for the greater good. Aaron? And I think, you know, a perfect example is what we're doing right here today. I mean, look at what the greater North Fulton Chamber is, is doing. I mean, bringing us together, why politically we represent different sort of 
parties and we'd have a different philosophy and a fundamental uh, argument about those those policy issues, but we're able to do it in a civil way. And so I think we got to have more of these conversations. And I think the last thing we got to do, Ed, I mean, we got to go back to the obvious. One of the things that, that really discourages me is that we, we cannot allow Senate Bill 202, and which I believe take, you know, restricts the most fundamental right we have as Americans. That is our opportunity to vote. It is the, the it should be the most robust way that you can express um, your opinion and, and what you want to support. And that's being taken away from us. Right. But we got to separate that conversation from the partisan conversation that is going on. And we just got to take it there between a governor and a potential gubernatorial candidate and corporations. And what's really unfair to corporations is that they should not be bullied. They should not be um, sort of feeling like they're going to be retaliated against because they're speaking up for their workers. And, And so I think if you can separate those three things, let's have a conversation about voting and voting rights. Let's let's separate the political back and forth between gubernatorial candidates and an incumbent governor who's running for governor and attacking a president and attacking a potential gubernatorial candidate. And then let's also have a conversation about, you know, like, how do we really figure out that we continue to rebuild the, con- uh, the reputation uh, of, of this state and, and don't don't attack corporations who, by the way, employ so many people. Uh, in the state, in the workers. And so I think, you know, we got to break them into those three buckets. Yeah. Let me, in my last couple of minutes, and I'll start off, you know, once again, maybe taking my moderator hat off and simply encourage folks to come down and communicate with their representatives and senators. Georgia is actually a fairly, for want of a better term, user-friendly state when it comes to connecting with your senators and representatives. Uh, and, and, and making a difference. I can tell you as a former legislator, having someone from my community get a hold of me and sort of talk to me about an issue uh, face-to-face was the most powerful, uh, by phone to second. A personal uh, letter or email is even better. If you want to hit, simply send a junk email, don't bother because no one's going to read those. But the ones that they will read are or listen to or where you take a take a few minutes and and have a personal connection with your legislator. I had one bill in particular where a woman came down with her child and was very concerned about a a medical issue that, quite frankly, initially I thought was a bad idea. But after 20 minutes talking to her and having her tell her personal story, I ended up co-sponsoring the bill under under one condition, that she go back and tell all of her neighbors that coming to the Capitol works. Uh, so I do encourage everyone on this call to please do that. Sam, uh, rather, Theron, I'm going to give you a moment for your closing, and then I'll give Sam the last word. Well, you know, what a difference a, 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 an election make. Uh, Ed, you're able to let the Democrat go first uh, for, yep. for a change. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, I just, again, I just want to thank Stacey uh, for her leadership in, in the in the Greater North Fulton Chamber, and thank all the sponsors uh, for inviting us back. This conversation uh, is so important, and I just, as Ed mentioned, want to just encourage everyone to in, be engaged, have civil conversations, uh, not be afraid to talk to the opposite race or the opposite sex. Don't be afraid to talk to someone who politically is not aligned with your party. I, I've found that. While I have to bite my tongue a lot of times and really take a lot of deep breaths, uh, I learn so much more by talking to people who don't look like me, 
uh, who don't live where I live and, and that not necessarily agree with all of the um, policies um, that I think uh, that they should agree with. And so I just encourage everyone to continue to remain civil. And then lastly, you know, make sure you continue to mask up, uh, be careful, uh, get vaccinated. Even if you are vaccinated, just continue to make sure that you uh, are careful because we're just not out of the woods yet. But thank you all so much for allowing me to just share a little bit of wisdom with you all today. Sam? So once again, I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to be with the chamber, to, to be with Aaron and, and Edward. Um, you know, for years, several of us in the Republican Party, to include Edward, have sought to strongly make the point that the Republican Party needed to diversify, that the Republican Party needed to seek friends, not only throughout the state, but when it came to racial, economic, ethnic folks that make up our great state. And for many years, that discussion was not really heard. And when you look at the growth of our state in the last decade, if the Republican Party does not choose to widen its tent and to openly encourage minorities, people of color, to be a part of the Republican Party, the election last year will not only not be a fluke, but it will be the norm for years to come. So this is a critical time that the Republican Party either learns its lesson to broaden the tent, or it will be the minority party in our state for years to come. Thank you. Thank you to you both. And uh, I apologize for, for, I couldn't quit get to all the questions, but we've got to many of them. And for those that didn't get the question answered, once again, contact your local legislator and continue the discussion. With that, Callie, I turn it back over to you. Thanks, Edward. I appreciate it. Thank all of you gentlemen there. And Sam, you guys were amazing as you always are. As we conclude today's event, I want to express how grateful we are, of course, to all three of you for your time and joining us. Um, as Theron mentioned earlier, the Chamber cannot offer great programs like this without our sponsors. Um, we would like to thank Wellstar North Fulton Hospital and AT&T for their tremendous support. Thank you as well to John Ray and North Fulton Business Radio X as our, our media sponsor. We actually have so many upcoming events planned and hope you're able to join us. Just a few of those. On June 11th, we will be hosting our summer soiree, which is an answer to our gala, which is usually held in January, February. Um, this will be presented by Northside Hospital on Friday, June 11th at the Ameris Bank Amphitheater. Um, it will feature a taste of North Fulton in a fun, chic outdoor setting and tickets and sponsorships are now available on our website. I hope that you'll make plans to join us for our May Georgia Office Interiors Business After Hours. Uh, John Ray, who is our media sponsor, will be celebrating his fifth anniversary as our host there at Ray's Killer Creek on Thursday, May 13th. I also want to remind you that the deadline is this Friday if you are interested in Leadership North Fulton, or if you think somebody in your office might be great to participate, reach out and connect with us, and we will make sure and get that information out to them. Finally, I am very excited to announce that today was our last virtual Wellstar Chamber luncheon. I hope you will all join us safely on May 25th for our first in-person luncheon at the new Hilton Alpharetta Atlanta Hotel, which is on Windward Parkway. 
The focus of that luncheon will be on education and workforce with a very distinguished panel, including representatives from the University of North Georgia, Mercer University, Gwinnett Technical College, and Fulton County Schools. Thank you to our sponsors, Goodwin Mills and Kaywood and Parish Construction Group. To register and check out all of the Chamber's events, you can always go to gnfcc.com. I hope you all have an enjoyable afternoon and we stand adjourned.